So uh, we don't do this every week, but every now and again, we like to bring in a special guest. And now that we've been doing this for a little while, we might start doing that a little bit more often. And tonight, uh, excited to have with us Mr. Phil... Ajarapu. I now always feel like we know each other well enough. Yeah. I should never butcher your last name. Ajarapu. Ajarapu. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I was in the ballpark. Yeah, totally. Better than the principal I had. <laughs> I can only imagine. Principals and like every uh, athletics, jun- junior high athletics coach. I know, right? Like It's like those guys have a special, like I feel like they sort of, maybe it's a My like high a school gym coach, uh, Julian Emanuelson, he called me Ajapur. Yeah, Ajapur, <laughs> like the R's. At the, no, Ajarapu, like <laughs> dropping give me forty Ajapur. <laughs> give me forty. Well, um, Phil, as as uh, like one of the reasons that we wanted to have Phil on is Phil is a musician. He's got a record out right now and has been touring the country in support of it. Um, tonight he'll be dazzled by the uh, fruits of my garage. So, <laughs> my garage, yes. which, which is the, really just beer, <laughs> beer and, and is hops a fruit. Yeah, I, w- I would say fruitish. I don't know. But um, but we do always kind of throw the um, make our make our special guest do uh, tell us a story a la the cold open that we usually start I, these. I, with. I was I was curious if you might could tell us anything about BB King. Uh, absolutely. So I was playing in this band, Liquid Soul. That when I was a kid and was listening to them, I was really enamored with them. So that when I finally got to be their bassist, it was pretty much the hottest bass gig you could get if you were a bassist in Chicago, which I was. So when I got the gig, I was just like, how did this How did this even happen? This is amazing. And we got to tour around and go to other countries and whatever. And then it quickly became obvious that this gig was um, taxing. I was the youngest guy in the band and the only one with a driver's license. But then you do things like, you know, go to different countries, which is cool, or open for BB King. Like, so we got to open up for BB King in like 2005 or six at the House of Blues, and uh, we got to our green room at the House of Blues in Chicago. We'd played there before, um, and we go and we play our set, and we walk off stage, and we had to walk past him. And we all gave him like a wide berth because you know he's he's a friggin' legend. You don't want to be, you know. Well, and those guys are just known to start swinging at people, right? The blues guys, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, maybe not, maybe that's not sure. the old ones. Like, but you want to know why I'm sad? Because I kick a lot of ass. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll hit you with Lucille, isn't that, isn't that the name right. of his guitar? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that black es whatever he's got. Yeah, that would that would not feel good. At probably although it is hollow. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm derailing your story. So you gave him. You gave so him. So we walk. We walk off stage. We walk past him and give him a wide berth. And I'm the last one because I'm the farthest away. And he just ignored the rest of the band. And then I walk off stage and he shakes my hand. He's like, "You're a fine young bass player." And I'm saying that in like <laughs> Chef's voice, which isn't quite his voice. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm, you know, that's the best I can do. It's blues guy. So he shakes my hand, and all I can think of is his hand is so soft. This is not the hand of a blues man. These are not calloused working hands. Like, his hand was baby butt soft. And I'm like, I was just totally weirded out by that for... You probably don't want to bring it up either. (laughs) No, it was, like, shocking. It was like, wow, man, what do you You moisturize with? Can I get more gnarled? Yes. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to be like, can I get some of whatever you're using to give to my girlfriend? Oh sure. Is that inappropriate? Well, uh, no. Know. All right. Okay. It depends on how it landed, but I mean, yeah, so- yeah. softer <laughs> hands are always 
Did you I mean, close it? His hands are so soft. <laughs> no, I mean, he just kind of like, he shook my hand, not like super firmly, not weakly. He didn't give me a wet fish, but I was just like, wow, his hand is so, so soft. And so I'm like, thank you. And everyone's like looking at me like that he complimented me because the, all, the, all the guys in the band were great players regardless of their other problems Did you offstage. feel like, did you feel, uh, don't forget where you are, but did you feel like he should be walking around with like a radio, like a, like a railroad tie and a piece of Robert Johnson's hair? Like, what was he supposed to, like, how were yeah, so he came directly from the crossroads to the gig? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm 37 now, and I was, like, in my late 20s then. Uh, and so maybe my first thought or my first memory of B.B. King was, like, from Rattle and Hum, when he, where they're doing oh, when sure. Love Goes to Town. Like, because I was, I don't know, uh, 11 when that movie came out? Yeah. So... That's probably, and I was like, wow, he was old then. Like, when you're 11, everyone's old. You know, here I am in my, like, late 20s. I'm like, wow, he's, he looks kind of the same. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's like when he speaks, his voice is so, like. You're a fine young big Exactly. <laughs> so rich. His voice is so rich and sonorous. I just, the hand was incongruous. So we watched them from the side of the stage. They burn through the set. The players are really hot. Mostly he's sitting down, but every now and again he'll like play a little solo. But the thing about him is it's like he only has to play a few notes, and you know instantly, oh, that's B.B. King. It's like Santana. Like Some people just don't have to play a lot of notes. Like Whatever it is, it's in their hands, and you hear that person's personality in the guitar. It's the creepiest thing. It does not make any sense, you know? Because most people pick up a guitar and it sounds like a guitar, but it's like they pick up a guitar and it sounds like them. It's just totally weird to me yeah so then he finishes his set and we bail for our green room to get out of their way right and then they walk into our green room and we've played here before and we're like why is he in our green room and then he walks through a door that like none of us have ever noticed and never tried to open into his green room (laughs) right it's magic and it's a much larger nicer green room i'm like wow house of blues holding out on us vip room Exactly. So, like, the door's kind of cracked open, and his entourage is in there, and he's like, young man. Like me? He's like, yeah, come here. He's like, I don't have any booze to offer you because I'm diabetic. I don't drink. Would you like some cheese and crackers? And I'm like, uh, yes. So I'm having cheese and crackers with B.B. King in his green room, and the door is still, like, open. And the rest of my band is, like, staring at me. They're just giving me the (laughs) eyes, like... (laughs) Like it's a combination of like you're gonna die, screw you, um, are you going to invite us in? And he he's so I don't know like aware because under his breath, just between the two of us, he's like, you can invite them in if you want. <laughs> what do you do then? You know, I'm like, if anybody heard that and I don't do it, I'm dead. I'm so dead. Maybe there was another trap door that you could just I make know your way just out slink out of, right? So I'm like, hey, guys, come meet B.B. King. And so then it just turns into this like huge party, and there's lots of people, and he's signing photographs. I still have the photograph that he signed framed. It's one of the few things that's made its way through the, the tragic uh, explosion of my life. That, uh, my vinyl collection, a, p- a signed picture of the raspberries, and that's about it. Uh, it's a cool story. I mean, if you're going to eat cheese and crackers with anybody, it might as well be. Yeah, I know. Well it's just like so weird that like he picked me out. And he's like, I was like he was trying to win me points with my band, which he did. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Like he saw all this tension and he, then he just like did me a solid. That's cool. 
I uh, I have to tell. Uh, we've got to get on with the show soon, but I do. It did uh, remind me of one fun little brief anecdote, which is that you mentioned Santana mm-hmm. several years ago. Um, during South by Southwest, I had occasion. There was a some club that was opening up, and some promoter or whatever invited my wife and I to sit in a special section for a, for a show. Like right. I don't, I I kind of remember who some of the acts were, but it's not really even that. That part's not important to the story. What's important to the story is we ended up sitting in between Ben Harper and uh, Salvador. Uh, uh, Santana and and they put us down in this section and we're both our minds are just kind of instantly blown. Not Who's Salvador and Santana? Carlos? Carlos Santana. No, no, his son. Oh, his oh, son. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so and so the wow. deal was is that we were sitting there and and they were like you could sit here for as long as you want while this is all going, but if Lou Reed shows up, you got to go. <laughs> well, so, of course. And so we were like, we were like, I kind of want to get thrown out by Lou Reed, but, but anyway, he did not show up, and um, I am. I was reminded of this story this week because the World Series has been going on, and Santana and his son Salvador, who sat next to us at that South by thing. We're playing the national anthem uh, in the San Francisco baseball park. But the funny thing is, is that the way that the cameras were set up, I guess Salvador was on keyboards and his dad was on guitar. Okay. And they only showed his dad and Salvador's arm. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, that's what it's like to be the son of a famous, you know, well, I iconic mean, guitar player. Yeah. Do you think that's worse than, like, say, Julian Lennon, who looks just like John Lennon? No. Well, yeah. Those... I don't know. I feel like that we could go down the deep end rabbit hole on, on of kids uh, and on their kids famous of, dads, whatever. Yeah, uh, Harper Simon and whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is somebody likes it. I'm Kevin Newsom. I'm Ryan Newsom, and our special guest tonight, Phil Jerapu. We'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, I guess we ought to talk about, first of all, where the Shane is. The elephant not in the room? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Where is Shane? Well, he's, I mean, sick, right? Yeah, Shane is Shane is under the weather and can't join us tonight. Uh, the but text it, that I got said that he was, quote, sick as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we can say the F word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We encourage it. Yeah. Oh. So, Thank God. Well, shoot, we should redo that whole opening bit. Though. That's all right. Well, we'll go back in and drop in the F-bombs later. Right. Just throw in random fucks. Big in post. <laughs> that and the, uh, and uh, what is it, Shine. Yes. But, um, but yeah, so Shane can't uh, join us tonight, and we've that was one of the reasons that we figured no better time than the present to bring Phil in and let him tell us stories about B.B. King and Cheese. And uh, now... We want to talk a little bit about uh, the album that we're going to cover tonight. Shane actually picked this record, and so sadly he won't be here to, to share his take on it. The discussion. Well, now we yeah. can just roast it without him. Let's just mostly Perfect. talk about Shane. <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> Yes, exactly. And then we'll play taps, and then the podcast will be over. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, this was a, a crazy record to record. The, the stories have been legendary. Ryan, you know, your initial thoughts on... Reconnecting with Loveless? 
Well, you say reconnecting. I never really knew this record. I have a vague recollection of riding around in one of your old cars and listening to the cassette of it. Yeah. Um, but um, so it's, it's really me just you know communing with it for the first time uh, the last few days, and like I'm not sure I get all the hype. Like, yeah. I mean it's it's considered this sort of you know legendary um, piece of art that like. You know, I heard it and I was like, eh, "That's pretty good," but it, de- I mean, it definitely sounds like of its time. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe it, and the, does it really though? It I mean, does to me. Um, what else in '89 when they started recording sounds like? Well, it. Um, Curve for one. Um, uh, you know, I was some a, of the four AD bands. I, yeah, I was a sure. big fan of uh, the band, of the record Doppelganger um, by Curve, and. Maybe it's because I heard that record first, you know, many, many years before hearing this one that, you know, it, it would be hard to catch up to it. And, I, you know, I commuted with that record at a very impressionable uh, age, you know, when I was in my early 20s or late teens. Um, uh, it reminded me a little bit of that and a little bit of, like, the first Smashing Pumpkins record, Gish. Which was um, 91 when it came yeah, out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it would have been right around that, that time. Um, I do, you know... Imagine that it was, you know, inc- incredibly innovative uh, for its time. But you know, there was a whole slew of bands that were doing this kind of thing uh, right around then. But my buddy Valentine seemed to be sort of leading the pack. Well, and I think it's fair to say we've talked about this in other podcasts that you know, music is by its nature inherently collaborative, and so you can't really. It's very difficult, especially I would imagine, especially given not only the type of music that they're making here, but the environment that they're making it in, to like not sort of be influenced buy other things and influence those around you. Mm-hmm. And there you know, certainly that has been true in the intervening years since. But I did find I have one thing I wanted to share. I did find a really great piece. Um, the thing that's interesting about one thing that's interesting about this record is they did a re release in twenty thirteen. Um, prior to uh, prior to their most recent album album coming out. Yeah. yeah. And um, and one of the outlets that that wrote about it is Grantland, which you know, writes about primarily sports, but also some pop culture stuff. And so, anyway, they, there was a little uh, snippet about how this record came together that I thought was kind of you know a, a nice table setter for what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'll just read a, just a little piece of of this article that was written in Grantland. Uh, it says here. As anyone familiar with the record's oft-told legend will tell you, Loveless was recorded in 19 different recording studios over the course of two years. Uh, Shields hired and fired a battery of engineers. That would be Kevin Shields. That would be Kevin Shields. Yep. Uh, Not Brooke Shields. Not Brooke Uh, Shields. Yeah. Uh, Hired and fired a battery of engineers in a maniacal pursuit to capture the sound rattling in his head, and in the process, spent so much money that he nearly bankrupted his label. This might make Shields seem like some kind of single-minded weirdo visionary in the mold of Brian Wilson or Sid Barrett, but Loveless was merely the work... This is... This guy editorializing a little bit. But Loveless was merely the work of an imaginative sonic architect who trial and error his way into inventing a whole new way of guitar getting a guitar based band to sound and so there are certain kernels of that that i think are kind of uh inherently true but also it could be revisionist history sure it could be and i mean you know the 19 studios in two years sounds like that's pretty much etched in stone and so that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like somebody who's not sort of figuring it out like the two major engineers that like 
stuck with him through it. That okay. he actually was like, you and you, you can work on this. And, they, and like one of them was like, oh my God, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. God, if I owned his label, I would just be pissed. If I owned like, his label, I just would have nipped that shit in the bud. Yeah. Well, and they ended up. They well, actually at ended some up point doing throwing so much money at it. You know, you and you only want... sell two hundred twenty-five thousand copies. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too because I, I do think that this is one of those albums that, um, to this end, gets credit for. You know, it's like if you're if if it's a movie trailer, they're saying what well, it sold two hundred twenty-five thousand albums and spawned just as many bands. Like that's kind of the right. you know the gist of. Of the zeitgeist on this record is that yeah. mm-hmm. is that so that curve album I just it was an influencer it came out March ninety two okay so you know? this preceded it yeah um yeah and that and like my bloody Valentine was kind of loosely a band from like eighty three on and I released another EP before that and released another album I believe before that mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like um. And if there are other bands doing stuff that are in the underground that are doing similar stuff, that's fine, you know. But like, listen, you know, think. I mean, geez, eighty nine. I mean, just the eighties in general were such a miserable time for, for popular music. Well, Not to say that My Bloody Valentine was ever like popular. Well, no, and and the point's been made that Creation, their label, was essentially, you know, they were trying to carve their own little niche in the. In the buying public, and so they were intentionally putting out like they were. They got behind some records that didn't have a place anywhere else, right? And so, you know, as far as like other aspects of the album, like the kind of like vocals being really buried in the mix and kind of it being swirly and whatever. I have to say this. So, so, well, finish where you were. You You know, like the Cocteau Twins had done that kind of stuff too, but it's just like. I think, I think, um, and I'm coming at it from somebody who really like. I I did have a relationship with the album, and I loved the album. And then listening to it today, I was like, I still love it. I think it's still important. I think it's still essential. But I don't think it's essential for the reasons that I thought it was essential when I was a kid. Yeah, I don't think the songwriting is very good. That see, that was kind of my problem with it is that they're the songs aren't necessarily it's sonically memorable, but yes. like the songs themselves. I'm never going to be humming this. I, you know what? And you that's know, the thing. As a guy who really loves songs and yeah. really loves albums, like this is not where I'm at now. Well, and I think, I think it's fair to mention that uh, much like when Shane is sitting in the, in the chair where you're sitting now, Phil, like he's a, he's a lyrics guy and he is a – like he melody writes – he, Yeah, he writes melodies and pop songs. He's so good. Yeah, and so like – so to that end, like I feel like you're kind of cut from that from a similar cloth in that way. Yeah, like, absolutely. So so yeah, that sort of lack of structure I think that there is in this record, I would think would be not not, not, not disquieting, but like yeah, but it would wouldn't feel yeah. like it was in your sweet spot. Right, and that's the other thing, like like reading about the album today where Shields was like he and Belinda spent a lot of time on the lyrics, and I'm like, Why? Well the fun- You can't even understand I them. know. It pisses me off. Also, I think that sounds to me like a little bit of bullshit. Like, I agree. One, one of the things that I called from the from the Wikipedia entry on this was that like most of the time they would come into the studio, no voc- no lyrics written. They would have no lyrics written, and then he would sing some shit. They would bury it under mountains of guitars, and then she would try and essentially like remember what it is that he had sung and go write it down. Like right, or be inspired by what he had said, or what she thought he had said. Right, yeah. And then what she like, oh, thought he had said. Right, 
You know, I mean, he even admits like numerous times in print that like, oh yeah, I think it's really interesting watching people try and figure out what I said. Well, if you spend so much time on the lyrics, just tell us what they are or mix them so we can hear them. Except for the fact that even though the songs aren't good, the album definitely has an emotion. It's got a feel. It's like for me, it's it was weird listening to it in the daytime. It's a, for me, that's a nighttime album. And to I me, it's that. like I never ever did listen to like song. It's not like when back in like mixtape culture, mix CD culture, when you'd make those things. You, I would never use any of those songs because to me, the whole album is one song. I could definitely get behind that. It's a you know, mood. It's, it's yeah, a mood it's, piece. In this way, it's like almost. It's almost like classical symphonic literature. To me, it's it kind of seems like it might be like a good record to clean the apartment to. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> one of these, I don't remember which article it was that I read, but one of the one of these reviews said like it's definitely definitely not something that you want to listen to while you're washing your cat. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's really specific, and like probably, you know, a little obvious. Number one, if you're washing your cat, I don't know what the fuck has already like, gone wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and where your cat, you have the weirdest cat in the universe. So we're, um, we might be to the place where, uh, you know what? It. Let's yeah, let's play a track. Let's play a track. Let's uh, let's jump in and do. Uh, Kind of the, the one of the signature tracks off this record, the one that leads us all into the rest of it. Let's play a little bit of Only Shallow. Here it is. Word. Okay, so that was only shallow, and I did find uh, the the bit that I was alluding to earlier, which is from that same Grantland piece where he says, "It's impossible to clap along rhythmically with a large group of people to Loveless," and although you could totally do that to the first part of that song, um, sure. and you definitely don't want to put it on while washing your car. I may maybe I read Use that as cat. cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, your, my, I like your version better. My version is funnier. And then he says, the guitars approximate the sound of a Pontiac Grand Am being sawed in half. So, <laughs> like, that's it's, lovely. Yeah, what a great a, image. A little bit of that that's that, kind that of It actually true. reminds me of uh, uh, Kevin, our mutual friend, Miguel, uh, who owns Nomad, was also the bar here in Austin. One, of, one of the owners of the club that I, I started out booking. Uh, he described the other owner, Kyle's, uh, taste in music who kyle was very much into metal thrash metal what have you yeah he described kyle's taste in music as the sound of a washing machine being dragged behind a pickup truck <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's almost hard to believe that club didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Is Nomad gone? No, uh, Frontier Bar, the, the bar that oh, uh, yeah, gotcha. is, is no more. Yeah. yeah to, <clears throat> on to a new frontier. Yes. But but anyway, yeah, so that's the that was the opening track to Loveless. I feel like it's probably the one that's the most iconic, and it might be. Oh, it's it, a great way to start an album, and the snare sure. hits, and then all of a sudden it's like they're off to the races. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is right, like they take those big, swirling, angry guitars, but the but the 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 rest of the song is like are those muted vocals that sort of float along under that sea, you know, that sea swell of of churn. And I don't know. I think it's, I like it's what Heather Ferris from All Music said. Uh, if you don't mind, Ooh. she says Kevin Shields and Belinda Butcher's vocals meld perfectly with the trippy sonics around them. Suggesting druggy sex or sexy drugs. All right, I mean, I feel you on that. Yeah, you know, one thing that we didn't, we haven't really dived into. Now, yet. Were, were they a couple? Does anybody know this? No, nobody knows this. I haven't seen any confirmation of it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's a hmm. that's a good question. But I, I mean, bet they were boning. They were they were close enough that she tried to write down the things that she thought he said. <laughs> and he was okay with that, which means he was probably getting some tail. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think one thing that we haven't really talked about in any great detail yet is... You said tail. Yeah, exactly. We're all, we're all, we're all five. Uh, is uh, is the shoegaze thing. Phenomenon. Yeah, and, and like... I feel like my bloody Valentine is like kind of the poster child for that idea. Man, but there are, a lot, but there are a lot of those. Like the flagship band of that movement. Well, I mean, like I don't. I mean, say what you will about whether it's a good album or it's not a good album. Like I think it's a good album. But again, I'm going to say I don't think it's good songs. But I don't think she is about songs. You know, it's about but, like a feeling. Right, but yeah. they engendered it in such a way that like the bar was really high from the get go. Let me ask you a question, Phil. Like, do you feel like that? Um, that with with shoegaze bands in particular, like if we accept that a shoegaze band is a shoegaze band and there's whatever, like they fit in that bucket, do you feel like it's difficult to put? Because this feels like a live, like a live sonic experience that doesn't sound like a live record that is being that's been pressed onto a record for for lack of a better term. Like you know what I mean? Like that it, it feels, feels like immediate. It feels like it's best enjoyed live. Yeah, but it's but it's been recorded canned. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I listen to to Loveless, and it's it still feels powerful. Like even if you have it like on fairly low, and you've got earbuds in, sure, it's an assault, you know. But like, and I love Ringo Death Star. They're so much fun to see you know, here in town. Local shoegaze band. You watch them live, and you're like, you're just absolutely destroyed by the sheer volume, right? But what? you listen to it on record, and it's like it doesn't have that immediacy. It's like so. There's something that I can't quite put my finger on some kind of intangible that makes this album an album. And I think that's part of why it took him two-plus decades to come out with the next album. Right. I don't know. What do uh, you think? Well, I felt like I should have been stoned. Um, <laughs> I feel know, like if, even if, if you're smoked, not stoned... If I smoked weed, I would probably enjoy this record a lot more. I yeah. think it kind of like... It's, it's like the oral equivalent of drugs. And some albums are like that. It's just like... If you, if you put it on and you let it go... Well, and to, and to be fair, I, I did get the feeling that, you know, this would definitely be a rewarded... Uh, repeated listenings, you know, would be 
I would think would yield you, further rewards. I don't sure. like long albums, and to me, this is an exceedingly long album. Yeah. No, well, I mean, like if you look at it on paper, like it's almost fifty minutes. For me, I like my albums in the like thirty to thirty-six minute range. Well, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we and that I think, given your aesthetic that we talked Absolutely. about, like totally makes sense. I think one of the things that we that that we talked about briefly uh, off the air was the idea that like you really have to sort of like if you know that you're going to sort of critically dissect this record or at least discuss it, you kind of have to pay attention to what song is playing when because they do intentionally fuzz one they bleed right each together. Other. I think yeah. it's one yeah. big piece. Yeah, I think it's symphonic. So, I will. Uh, I'll. I'll share one. One last little bit from this. Uh, this Grantland piece. I just thought it was. I. I thought it was. Uh, written sort of in a in a. In the modern day, it was written in the modern day after the re-release came out, and so it has a little bit of uh, hindsight in it. And these guys also tend to have a little bit of fun with their subject matter. And I. And I thought this was kind of a nice way to encapsulate further what this record feels like. Uh, which is to say, he says here, listening to Loveless is not unlike the sensation of having just endured a two-hour sonic hurricane, then feeling an intense yet melodic pounding in your eardrums for the next week. And I mean that in the most pleasant way possible, uh, imaginable. What took so long for Shields to find in the studio was the ecstatic pleasure point buried in the suffocating psychic evisceration caused by pure, unadulterated volume. On most rock records, the music drowns out the lyrics. On Loveless, the music drowns out the music. You know that he and Belinda both had to take a break from recording their vocals because they both got tinnitus. Oh yeah, oh, I believe that. Did they? Did does that happen from live shows? Not yeah. from the studio. From live shows, and then you know, like, uh, and then he was like, "Oh, that, that's you know, tinnitus is is like you know, it's, it's butkus, it's imaginary." I'm like, "But you're suffering it." Yeah, the guy is crazy. He's yeah. he's full on bonkers. Yeah, it, well, and then when they played here, they 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 hit Austin on their on the tour that I guess that they did in support of the MBV record not very long ago, and a couple you know last year, year before last, and they played the Austin Music Hall for the. And if you don't live in Austin, then this may not be as interesting, but um, acoustically, true or false, Phil, like Ryan, that room doesn't like. It's, there's not like a lot of sort of sonic protection in there. No, like, it's reverberous. Yeah, so I would think that you it know, on, exceptionally loud. On one hand, like yeah, everybody that came out of that place, like just anecdotally, what I heard about that show, and I did not get a chance to see it, was like it was really fucking loud, like yeah. really loud. Yeah. So and anyway, and I would think on the reverb side, they would actually think that that was probably a good thing. But those guys are going to be. Dead. I read somewhere that like the Guinness Book World Records had rated them the second loudest live act ever who's the first loudest yeah, i don't exactly I don't know. dinosaur jr maybe having seen them i would say maybe dinosaur jr maybe I, mogwai i don't know that's don't know. really interesting I tell you by reputation i would i would wonder dinosaur jr is brutal i'm not gonna lie i love him so um so bread it sounds like sorry and bread is uh rye, short for rye bread rye bread yeah a yes. little bit of brother uh parlance um, Kega, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's all all of a sudden we're all three. Anyway, um, what's a mulgi? I don't know your 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 other takeaways. I mean, what do you think? Like, we can't obviously Shane's not here to speak on his own behalf, but I mean, like, um, 
you guys have known each other for a long time. What have you know? What has he told you about? He's just taking this record. As far as I can recall, he really loves it. Like uh, I knew that both of you uh, were familiar with it. I knew that both of you were fans uh, going into this. So I've been flying blind a little bit. But yeah, um, yeah. He kept uh, Shane was a little bit of a like shoegaze geek back in the day. Um, How old is Shane? He's four years old, which is really remarkable. He is forty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. I'm 37, so he's three years older than me. So he would have been a senior in high school when it came out? Yeah, I think I think that sounds about I right. I mean, Jesus Christ. I can't even, like, as a freshman in high school, man, 91 was a good year. Like, I went through junior high being like, oh, my God, fuck all this shit. Fuck all this horse shit. And then 91 came around, I was like, oh, my God. It's like... Well, what a sea change in music. Well, like, do you think can you imagine what that was like for him as a senior in high school to be like, oh, yeah, I was a freshman, and it was like fucking unskinny bop, and now I'm a senior, and it's loveless, and Nirvana's Nevermind, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and Pearl Jam's 10, and Primus Suck on This, and but I would also, who even I would knows also what else? That, yeah, I mean, we're all, one of the things that I've kind of learned from us doing this podcast is that uh, there is a tendency... Like it's sort of hard not to, yeah. The, I, what is it that Louis C.K. said that we quote from time to time? It's like dads always dress like the last year the that last they, year were, they cool. were cool. Yeah. yeah. So like I, I feel like sometimes, like the music thing, we we all, myself included, like we all get caught up in that, which is it like to that time when music was the most important thing on earth, when it really yeah. meant something and it was really transcendent. And now we're older and jaded. And, like, it's harder for us to get to that place where we're truly surprised by something. Mm -hmm. I think maybe part of it, too, is education. So, like, when you first start putting on music as, like, um, this thing that you define yourself by, like, this is the music I listen to, this is the music that I found, this is the music of my time, this is the music I learned how to drive to, uh, you're, like, you're going through all these changes uh, in uh, and you're you're figuring out who you might become as an adult, and so this music is the soundtrack to you growing up, and then you then you grow up, right? And then you you I think part of it too is knowledge. Like the more you know, the more miserable you become, the less happy you can be. You know, so like when I was a Could kid. Be. I you loved so much knowledge, man. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I was just like so happy to find music, you know, because. Um, but then as I got older, I thought more about like cause as you as you develop opinions and you figure out this is good, but this is better. Well, why is it better? So you start defining your own metrics or your rubrics by which you subconsciously or consciously judge the art that you digest. As you get older, if you think about these things, then you're like, well, now the bar's higher, and the bar's higher, and the bar is higher. Mm -hmm. And so less things hit that bar, <clears throat> and maybe that's growing up. So that may be true, and I might have to sit down just a second and dissect what you just said, but still, um, we're kind of almost at the point, Ryan, where um, we can throw on another track here, but I'm kind of thinking maybe... Why don't we go ahead and do the intermission? Do the intermission. And we'll, and we'll, a few minutes with. We'll do, yeah, we'll do a, our, our section we call A Few Minutes With, where we take a totally different song and we this have a little a bit really of a different bit. song. So it is, different. It is a very different song. <laughs> but, we're, but we'll come out of that. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about My Bloody Valentine, Loveless, and, uh, and then we'll play. And then we're not, we won't talk about it too long before we can get into another song because I want to share some more of the music. But for right now. Um, stick around for a very special intermission. 
so tonight's a few minutes with we are spending a little time with um, a song that really just has nothing in common with uh, <laughs> my bloody Valentine's Loveless, and that is Skilo- it is a one eighty. It is a complete one eighty from from Loveless, uh, but that is Skilo's uh, I wish. I I sent, I have to say that I sent uh, I sent Phil a text message earlier today, and I was like, oh hey, by the way, we do this segment in the middle of the show that we call a few minutes with, and we pick a totally different song that's totally unrelated, and tonight. It's Skilo. It's really unrelated. <laughs> what, did I, what did I text back? He sent me back a note that just said "whoa," <laughs> like, and, and that would be the appropriate response. Yes. So, anyway, but I fucking love this song. Everybody oh, yeah. loves this song. Yeah, find somebody like who doesn't. It, well, you well, think it, about it, it. It's like the. I remember it was so refreshing at the time because this was right when we were in the thick of like you know gangster rap. It was ninety five. Everybody, everybody was talking about I know how where you're hard going. they Man, were. Man, ninety five. Ninety five was the year that everything went south with at the Source Awards, and then ninety six was the year that Biggie and Pac died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was right in the midst of all that. Here's this like the world's only self-effacing <laughs> inner is it? city rapper. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What like, about Young MC? Uh, let's see, Young MC. Uh, Think no, about Busta like Move. Busta Move. That's not self-effacing. It's, no, no, no. no but like, like and I, and I, and I. Well, let me. I'll jump in and add a little bit of context. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about in in other shows where we've done, we did Paul's Boutique, and yeah. we did uh, we did the first, we did, we did the NWA um, record that broke them. So right, and managed to not use the N word the entire time. Yeah, good so, job. Yeah. I'm glad. So, um, one of the things that we're you know, one of the things that that struck me that I knew you would talk about, Ryan. Ryan doesn't like it when when the acts yell at you. And it's so true. He's like he's like I feel well, like the that Beastie was the problem Boys are always yelling Paul's at me. Boutique. And then and then you know whatever. And then Cube just said like like I'm gonna shoot you. Like that's happening. I'm gonna shoot you in the face, especially if you're a cop. What about and, when Dre's like, don't make me slap you in the face with nine inches of limp dick? Well, maybe right. Yeah. I mean, like same deal. But the but the thing is, is like clearly this is this guy is like I can't buy a brick. And all he, like essentially the entire song is a list of the things that are sort of working against him. I know, right? I kind of love that. It's but charming. He's, like, like cheerful about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, oh, what about Bismarcky and like you say he's just a friend or whatever, right? Like, sure. He goes to her dorm and sees the other dude. All right. All I'm saying is it's rare because it most rare. most hip hop is like to a level yo. Other I do don't. this. Like I'm a fucking bad <laughs> motherfucker, and here's why. Right. Here's I a wish, list of how badass I am. I wish two <laughs> things would happen. One that that there was a song that was yo. I do this, and that that, that song <laughs> consisted of a list of the things that he does. <laughs> like it probably exists. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> I I one can one can dream. Anyway, yes. no. Um, and then when we were watching the when we were watching this, one of the things that Phil said was like, "How tall is this guy?" And it occurred to me he is not tall. Well, no, he's is not he? Tall. Or did they just find really tall guys to sit next to well, on that I mean, park bench? Even well, when he's not next to large dudes. Hollywood uh, is the is is more or less the amusement park of professions, uh, and so. The deal is, I think that like you know, this accounts for the career of Tom Cruise and several other uh, mainstream actors. You can only be so tall. So in order for him to star in his own video, he had to be as short as he is. That's the way that I'm looking at it. You know, I met 
Trent Reznor once. Yeah. And that is a very, very short man. Yeah. He's like maybe 5'1". That guy's so tiny that when you walk up to him, you think, maybe I'm far away. I felt like I could, like, toss <laughs> six in the mirror. <laughs> smaller than, <laughs> larger than they appear. <laughs> I felt like I, I could pick him up and throw him, like, a pretty good uh, distance. Oh, apparently he's 5'8". Okay. Uh, Trent yeah. Reznor? Uh, yeah. Ski no. No. Oh, Skilo. Skilo is 5'8", uh, which uh, is not tall, but, I mean, it's not... He's well, not, he just says he wishes he was a women. little bit taller. Yeah. I mean, 5'8 five, five is not baller height. No, 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 well, unless you're Spud Webb. That, that, whole, that whole song is about, like, not being able to reach something on a shelf. Like, it sounds like maybe that's what it could be about. I mean, sure. don't get me wrong. Like that that chorus is so catchy. Yeah. But what the fuck is up with that rabbit in a hat with, with a, a bat. bat line? I think it just fit. You know? One thing that he is really good at that a lot of rappers these days aren't good at is he'll take the bar, he'll take the rhyme over the bar line. So he'll, like, he'll rhyme something, and instead of like, da 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 rhyme, da 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 rhyme, He'll be like da da rhyme da 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 rhyme, and like it'll it'll land in odd places, sure. you know, in, in in a way that I feel like has been lost with a lot of MCs this day. Is, is that your way of saying he has flow? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I concur. All right, guys. Well, this has been a few minutes with Ryan. Anything else you want to interject about uh, the self-effacing thing? Is a great point. Uh, no, and that's that's, that's it was maybe super the refreshing. Uh, at the time, I think that might be why mm. it, it still is current. Uh, it, no, this this song sounds fresh to me still. Like, and I like if this comes on the radio, and I'm I'm not typically listening to stations that play, you know, this type of music. But if for whatever reason, I, I'm you cranking mean black music, the, I'm cranking this thing up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Negro music. Yes. Oh, <laughs> good God. <laughs> Yes. No, uh, you know. Sorry. I, I, today I, I saw I, a clip of uh, Oscar Peterson as a jazz pianist on Dick Cavett, and like, and he's like getting Oscar Peterson to like play through all these piano styles, and all of a sudden he's like, "Tell me about block chords, or are they black chords?" And I'm like, "Whoa! You can see, you said that on TV. What's going on? I, I felt so uncomfortable, and I'm not even white." <laughs> Trailblazer Dick Cavett. Yeah. Yes. But Dick, that, I feel like that's the third time that Dick Cavett has come up on this podcast. I know it's at is... least twice because I, I did an impression once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Sorry. So if you're wondering if we're bleeding edge, the answer is yes. Yes. We're <laughs> right on the edge of 1970. Anyway, Rye, uh, so you chose Skilo. I'm with you. I thought I think this song's a fucking hoot. I like, love it, I, man. Like, I, I crank like this thing up if it ever uh, comes on. And, Nobody um, turns this song off. Yeah. Nobody goes like nobody that, puts that's baby played in the corner. Out. No, never. Um, but we've got to go back. We we need it's time Can to we go, go back to some impenetrable uh, <laughs> squealing guitars. It's not <laughs> impenetrable, but uh, but we should go back. What I'm going to do first is play a clip off of uh, uh, from uh, I wish, and then we'll uh, head back into a little bit more of my bloody Valentine. Sounds like a plan. Coming no, up, disjunct. We're taking calls on the wish line. Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-point baller. I 
wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leo. She could she don't know me, but yo, she's really fine. You know, I see her all the time everywhere I go. And even in my dreams, I can scheme a way to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat. Her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball. So how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing basketball, I'm always last to be picked. And in some cases, never put it off. So I just lean up on the wall. Or sit up in the bleachers with the rest of the girls who came to watch their man ball. Dad, y'all, I never understood black weather jocks get the fly girls and me, I get the hood rats. I tell them scats, skittles, kebabble. Got hit with a body and put in a hospital for dark and that mess. I confess it's a shame when you living in a city that's the size of a box and nobody knows your name. So that was I Wish by Skilo. Uh, again, a diminutive, <laughs> self effacing inner city uh, rap artist. I felt like, well, we we talked about that ad nauseum, but um, but a fun, happy, like little perfect fun, happy laundry list of why <laughs> some things in his life suck. Well, well, I mean, beyond that, like a, kind of a little perfect circle of a song, like sort of the exact opposite of what this, you know, intentional, melodic, and sometimes dissonant miasma that uh, bloody Valentine yeah. 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 put together. Yeah. A maelstrom, if you will. A it maelstrom. A very yeah. good word. Well, and the funny thing is, if you spend any time reading reviews of this record, it becomes like it becomes like game within the game to figure out like how many different words people can use to describe sonically what this comes across like. And it's because hard there's to no do it hat well. to hang on. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to hang your hat on. Yeah, you know? it's just it's an assault. That that album's an assault. Yeah. And I don't know if I necessarily want to be assaulted by my music, but... <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I like it that rough. That does actually remind me of a joke, uh, tell. if I may. To tell. Uh, two peanuts walk into a bar, one was assaulted. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Who's who's the dad now? <laughs> I'm like a... Yeah, I'm like a dad without a kid. Yeah, that's all right. That's At least all right. that I know about. Uh, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Pause for effect. <laughs> and go back to the show. So, anyway... Um, no, I thought that was cool. I think one of the other, one of the other. So we we're we are long enough into this podcast that we haven't um, played as many tracks or shared as many tracks as we as we typically do. And before it's we play my one, fault. oh no, it's all good. Uh, but, but maybe a Jerpo, maybe a Jerpo, Ajapur. <laughs> what are you doing? Dropping? Give me forty. Ajapur. Yes, as if if we could get Phil to give us forty during the podcast, we would do that. But we're not going to do that. So that's that's great radio. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is actually the, listening to somebody attempt to do push. He's like, "Ow, I'm tired." Um, but the other the other song that gets a lot of play and one uh, or gets a lot of discussion individually, and rightfully so. Yeah. Can I, can I ask this real quick? Does yes, this sir. record have a single? No, no there? singles. Yeah, no singles, no image of the band, and no uh, text on the cover. They I, just drove their label absolutely up a well, wall. Well, and sure. I, I will say that no that interviews. Technically, that's true, but I did have a. Not only did I have this, and whatever, just dating myself. Not only did I have this entire record on cassette, but I also had a cassette single, which on one side was only shallow, and on the other side was soon. And I was like, "Holy shit, this record's amazing!" Like. And, like, you don't get any of that. The funny thing is, is, like, they had, they had intentionally... I, I assume that that's what Creation had done as just right. a fuck you. Like, Stop we're gonna take Yeah. Like, we have to figure out a way to make some money off of this. But, um, but I thought, like, they still feel like these sort of long, lingering, 
ex- explorations of what's going on there. But so you had a single where soon, which is a seven minute track yeah. at the B side. Yeah. Seven I, minutes. I know. It's like it's like almost a jam band. Oh, that's the other or thing s- that you know his stairway was eight. Yeah, well and that's the other thing too, is like um and this struck me funny and I read it in a couple of places that Trey Anastasio from Fish wanted to cover this album for Halloween. Yeah. Like and and when it was, he said that it was his favorite album of the '90s, which tells me a couple of things. Drugs are bad, like, okay? Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mackey. Yeah. <laughs> one of, one of the things that it tells me is that like that, you know, that that guy just likes long meandering explorations. Like fries. I know. Well, Fish likes to meander. Shocking. And and actually, right. um, something that occurred to me, uh, and I don't know if it would be the kind of thing that most people would normally think about when they're um, checking out this record, but it's not entirely unlike free jazz, which, as Kevin knows, I sort of have a problem with. Like, yeah. it's, it's not my favorite type of music. It just sort I like, of has a problem I with. like song structure. I like, you know, give me a good bridge. But well, the, um, Yeah, I agree, too, as a musician, but also as a music fan. Yeah, well, and I do think, Ryan, it's at least a little bit funny to me that that you are I wouldn't necessarily call you averse to this record from what I've heard you say. I'm but, not averse. But 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 you're not enamored but, with it and that's I, fair. I'm dipping a toe in the water. It's yeah, not you know, how you it's not as good as you remember it having ought to have been. Well, I just it, it's legendary. It is legendary. And, and sure. legendary And is, so man, that's a lot to live up to. That's a lot to live up to. Well and you yeah, I guess you can't microwave legend, right? Like you can't sort of I mean, a spinal You know, it, like <laughs> you can't, you can't microwave legend. <laughs> Don't even look at it. <laughs> but it's like, I, so. I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, pick a random legendary album. You know, like, you have, fuck Velvet Underground. There, I said it. Oh man, I want to punch you in the face. Uh, yeah, punch see. me in the nuts instead. Then we'll get somewhere. Uh, but like, every every legendary album is a potential sacrificial well, it's a, goat. Well, sure. To somebody, it's going to be a letdown. Sacred cow. I mean, I, here's where I was going. How does it live up? Here's where I was going with my setup, which is we have, you know, last week we, uh, you know, we endured your, not endured is not the right word, but we witnessed your warm embrace of Electo Pura. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to warm embrace. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's so, no way you guys could like that record as much as I do. Right. Another so, band that Kevin Shields has an attachment to. Exactly. That's true, actually. Uh, yeah. Kevin Shields did a remix of Autumn Sweater. Um, and worked with Primal Scream. And, like, for somebody who's supposedly, like, Sid Barrett, Brian Wilson crazy, he's fairly prolific, just not with his band. In which case, you know right. what? I'm just going to go out and limb and be like, you know, this, like, whole, like, Sid Barrett, Brian Wilson... I'm a genius thing is fucking bullshit and he's really just like the Axl Rose of the indie rock world and that MBV is the Chinese democracy of of the indie rock world and well, it, but it, even, it took even longer the, the album MBV yeah the Chinese democracy exactly yeah. well, you, could, you could certainly make that it took 22 years to put it out like sure yeah, you know and I read that too but I think it was really only 21 because it came out in 12 oh, oh my bad no, I think the internet lied. I know the internet lied. The hell you say? Well, but the point being is like, if if that were a person, it could drink. It could like, drink. Like, I know. Kevin Shields is fifty one right now. He was twenty six when he started recording Loveless. It's crazy. That's 
half his lifetime. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's let's get right into soon. Uh, which and, is a jam. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Which is I sort of this song. Man, the drums are killer. It's like New Jack Swing before New Jack Swing. All right. Here it is. This is soon. So that was soon, and I think one of the things that people, uh, the way that that song typically gets characterized is as the the dance track to this record. Oh, I was just boogieing my ass off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, but this was the one that played in clubs, right? Like, right, and yeah. you know, it's like that whole British rave culture, you know, that spawned Massive Attack and the whole Manchester beat, and you know, you ever saw Twenty Four Hour Party people, True. Happy Mondays, and, and right, yeah. Happy Mondays, all that yep. shit in yeah. spiral carpets. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where which, uh, which notable mostly because uh, a, who was it? Uh, it Noel was Ga- a- Noel Gallagher uh, roadied for them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talk about a and guy. Primal who- Scream yeah. is part of you know like oh, yeah. All, yeah like all that stuff like. It's kind of like where dance and... Lots of drugs. Dance, <laughs> drugs, and rock. That's where they all meet. So are you channeling Bill Hicks? A little bit. <laughs> Real high. Real high. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, back in the day, when I had a colleague in Manchester, I, I always wanted to get them to send me a uh, factory t-shirt. I mean, I'm sure that there, there's got to be one. You could probably order one online. Or just Kevin. make it. Yeah. And it would just look like nothing. Like, it's it just, just a square It just reminds building. me of like, the yeah. uh, old Fugazi t-shirts, because, you know, Fugazi famously didn't sell any merch at yeah. their shows. Yeah. And so people started printing shirts on their own that said, this is not a Fugazi t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, but anyway, I mean, impressions of, of Soon? It's a jam. What a way to end an album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the one song that really struck... Um, like stuck out to me immediately on on like first listen, going like, all right, I can get behind this. Um, so, do you feel like it's a jaunty little ditty? It it, it is <laughs> for for this band. It is a jaunty little ditty. <laughs> well, yeah, and then maybe that's why it sticks out uh, to me. But you know, that, that's certainly something I could you know, if I were attempting or or I just bought this record and I wanted to like you know, it'd be the first thing I would latch on to. Yeah. To me it's funny how this track is kind of like uh the bridge between like the guitar rock that it inspired and like hip hop. Yeah, no. And one of the things that Phil pointed out while we were listening to this the song uh earlier was that uh yeah, that the that the drum beat is it's basically new jack swing. Yeah. Like and essentially like and if you if you would have told somebody off the street 
who's a with a They'd reasonable. Say, who the hell is my bloody Valentine? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but another thing that's interesting about the way the album was recorded, um, if if we're gonna believe everything that Kevin Shields says, and why you know why would he lie? It's too crazy to lie, <laughs> you know. Like the, line, he's man. like the people think there are way more guitars on this album than there actually are. It was just like how he mic'd them, and like he did a lot of stuff with the tremolo arm on his guitar. But like the drummer uh, had had an injury, and so he played some stuff, and they looped it. And you got to keep in mind, like eighty nine to ninety one, okay, ninety one when it was released. Yeah, that's four years before the Intel Pentium chip. Yeah, you know what I mean. So whatever computer they're working on. Comparatively Jeez. primitive. Well, and I, I do think... Well, what was your computer like in 89, 90, 91? It was uh, an Atari 2600 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was learning to type on a, so I was learning to type on a Radio Shack TRS-80. It, yeah. it was a game of Pong and some obscure shadows. No, That's did, the thing. I, I, By 91, we were still like three and a half floppies. I don't trust them. They're so small. Well, I do feel like I got the impression listening to this record that um, somebody recording it, and I don't... How many engineers were there? 19 studios. 19 studios. Yeah, that's well, the other thing. When they well, went to I, go master it, they went to this studio and they bounced it to like some tape machine, and it went out of phase. So instead of one day to put it together, like Shields had to do it from memory, and it took eleven more days, which just sent the label just well, through the what roof. What I was going to say is, is listening to this record, it occurred to me like somebody out there really likes George Martin. Like I mean, just oh, with yeah. some of the you know backmasking and weird effects and right, but you see, and George Michael. Or George Michael, sure. yeah. This, you know what? This the really Georges, is, the two important Georges. Yeah. Forget like, really, George Harrison. You go from like wham to this, like in one easy step. That I, might, uh, that, I'm I, sorry, I, that I, might have been hyperbole. I, on my I part. did not make that leap. That that said, um, yeah, you know, I I think I think it, listening to this twenty some odd years in, I mean, it still sounds even if it sounds of its time. Twenty three years in, I know. It's crazy. I think it probably can be still sound of its time and still sound fresh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, you, it certainly sounds of its of its time and origin. I think but that's I, because of everything that's that inspired that followed it. Like, if the, it had if it hadn't made its impact, we'd go back and listen to it and be like, "Whoa, this is way ahead of its time." Or I think is, if it hadn't made its impact, it'd just be forgotten. That like, well, you know, it's like you listen to like Can. Just can sound like it was happening in the '60s or the early '70s, right? You know, Krautrock, exactly. And yet, yeah. it went on to have some impact way after. It's like you listen to Franz Ferdinand in '05, and everyone's like, "Oh, disco punk, how original!" And then you go listen to Gang of Four in '79 on uh, Top of the Pops or Old Grey Whistle Test, and you're like, "Oh, hey, Franz Ferdinand, twenty years in the, mm-hmm. in the past, right?" Yeah, essentially, it's it's thrifting. Interpol ripping off Joy Division. Yeah. yeah. Right, but with worse yeah. lyrics. Yeah. Sure. Right. Man, their lyrics suck. So, um, so yeah. So, so I want to make sure that we get in another track before we wrap things up. And, um, uh, and Phil is losing a lung over here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. So, before, before, Phil takes the dirt nap. Let's go to... Uh, I can't be killed. Let's, let's that's been established. I want to have a band just so I can call an album, Phil Takes a Dirt Nap. <laughs> it's just allergies. It's no big deal. All right, good. Uh, so, oh, 
Well, before before we get into this, one thing that I did uh, start to call out earlier that we didn't end up we kind of segued out of was that um, Phil Phil uh, hi Molly <laughs> Phil's dog is here yeah sorry <laughs> so and she's and she's really quiet but I think she's ready for us to start wrapping it up anyway sorry about that so um, one of the things that we that that happened earlier today was that Phil got around to listening to this record and then posted about it on Facebook. I did. And, and so the first thing that happened was I was like, slow down killer. <laughs> I was like, you had to save some of the good stuff for, for the podcast. I think it did. You did. I was but, channeling my thoughts, corralling them. But beyond that, um, one of the things that bubbled up out of that, that conversation was another mutual friend of ours popped up with a link to the, uh, wiki lyrics, site and and it was like god forbid you would have to be the poor soul who had to mind all sit down and, and figure out what the fuck this. they're saying yeah. Yeah. like just like what kind of punishment would you that know what? be i kind of like, wonder if you put a if you put a gun to kevin shields head and said what are the lyrics would he know no, of course I don't think he, he would know. know. Yeah, I'll, although I think I suspect what would happen is he would tell you very confidently what they were and that he always knew, but he, inside he would go like, no, I, don't know. I, don't know. I had no idea. Like, Dude, he makes Michael Stipe sound like he's got perfect diction. Yeah, yeah. No, it's well, crazy. you're talking about '80s Michael Stipe, but yes. Pick a Michael Stipe. Pick the most unintelligible Michael Stipe. Kevin Shields sounds way drunker. All right, all right. So on that note, let's uh, let's play to hear knows when. Of uh, to hear knows when, which if I'm being honest, like kind of bleeds into the rest of the record as far as I'm it's concerned. A, well, one of the things that struck me about that piece is it's a little floral, like it feels like it's a like. It's Go like, on. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, I mean, like I feel like the sort of the yeah the the top line of that song is like a little. It's it's designed to be a little bit of a change of pace, and it. Yeah, to Phil's point earlier, it's still recorded at the same pace as most of the rest of the record. It's but sonically, yeah. yeah, it's one tempo. But but they but sonically, this plays a little bit of a higher register. So I thought it, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting too that when they went on tour, they got a flute player to cover some of those things. Oh well, of course that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, all in all, guys, like we're kind of getting to you know close to the end here. Let's talk about how he's Irish and probably drunk. Okay. Kevin yeah, Shields? Sure. Yeah. And what is it that Kevin is shielding himself from? So I was like, wondering like, what his rap name would be. I think he's shielding us from himself. Well, and that's why he hasn't really released a lot of albums. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's at least 
I'm always curious about these things, like sort of the sort of the tortured genius idea. Like if the guy is just incapable of doing more than being what he is, or if it was just sort of a perfect storm where he got into music at a good time when he was young. They 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 moved in a direction that had not been beaten to death yet, and created some things that were interesting uh, and had some staying power. Or if it, you know, I mean, if it's a is it a nature or nurture deal, like. Man, you know, that's a tough, tough situation because, like, let's take it back to the Brian Wilson thing. You know, he did Pet Sounds when he was 23, and what has he really done since? He, you know, he laid in Kokomo. a bed. Jesus. <laughs> you know? His nurse. Right. <laughs> Captain Ron. You know? That's the thing. Like, the Beatles were done, and, like, George Harrison, at the youngest member, was he was only, like, 26 when the Beatles... 26 when the Beatles broke up. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. being an ex-Beatle at 26? Yeah. McCartney was 27. Ringo and John were 28. Like, what? Oh, shit. Well, now what? Yeah, right. Well, Wait, wings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. I mean, I, I mean it, you know, on, on one level... And we won't, you know, sort of sidebar into a whole Beatles chat, but I, like, I do think on one level, you got to think, well, lucky me. <laughs> like, I'm but so maybe not, like, like that whole like creative <laughs> thing happens when you're young. Maybe it's like being a music fan. You like more music when you're young, and as you get older and you get more informed by what you learn, you're just like, oh, and you, do you take less chances as a maybe. result of being more informed? Well, maybe, I'll, I'll maybe, you what, you, man. Like, maybe I, it's also you know what you want. That you're could, more informed sure. about what you want. So because you know what you want, you take less chances, and you're willing to take less risks. Well, I'll tell you what. Like That's I fair. saw R.E.M. probably five times, and it was over a span of like 15 years. Right. And the last time I saw them, they sucked. <laughs> like, they were phoning it in. Yeah. Like, just going through the motions. And... And I love that band. I, it pains me to say that, but like My producer when I saw them in 1989, they were fucking amazing. You know, when I saw them again in what was it, like '04, whatever it was, like like a lot less amazing. Well, you almost know, maybe no it's amazing. Just, maybe it's just tough to be amazing when you're old. You well, just right. Tired. I mean, you know, like you know, but you're, you get that sweet spot. You know, when you're, you know, maybe. You know, twenty six, like thirty seven was. Yes, like I am. Well, listen, we're we're uh, we're rounding this out. I do think um, final verdict on this album. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we don't necessarily always end them with a final verdict, but I think it's I think it's fair to say that like uh, I think it's essential, but not for the reasons that I thought it was essential when I was fourteen. Well, and I think that's a that's a prescient fair. observation. Like, it's nice to be able to sort of step out of your own history and sort of re-examine something in that way, and that was nice. Um, I you know I think. Um, I don't think it's a you know it's not a it's not a snapshot record like it's not an, a record that you can listen to casually. It's not a singles record. It's not a singles record. So I mean, so to that end, um, I enjoyed the opportunity to sort of reexamine it. Um, Shane will be rejoining us next week. I want to make sure and thank Phil for sitting in. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having Phil. me. Uh, crying out loud, this was fun. And, we'll bug you again. Oh, and, and we're gonna have our our next guest next week. Well, and b- and before we get to that, uh, and I I do want to get to that because he's here, and I'm going to let him drop the drop the oh, knowledge. Christ, um, the album for next week, you mean? Yes, um, but I did want to um, I did want to say uh, Phil's got a record out called "Sing Along Until You Feel Better." You can get it on iTunes um, and, and Amazon. It, who, who produced Amazon, that Spotify. record? Ken Stringfellow from the Posies, Big Star. 
REM. Yeah. I finally have vinyl. That only took six months. You know, I'm going to actually have a vinyl release in the calendar year I release the album. It'll be the last Sunday of November at Spider House Ballroom. It's very nice. So if you're in Austin around that time, crying out loud, come out and see Phil play. He's a he's a fun set, and the record's great. I really enjoy it. So four stars in all music. What what? Yeah, tell you what, man. Thanks for joining us, dude. Thanks for having me. And uh, and we won't get into a whole thing here, but um, but my friend Mark Cuvion stopped by, and he's gonna he's gonna join us next week. And um, Shane should be back. Hopefully, if he's still laid up ne- this time next week, we might have bigger issues. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you'll have a whole new batch of phlegm. Oh, excellent, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> but um, but we're gonna let Mark uh, pick next week's record, and he's picked a doozy. Mark, what are you gonna share with us? Well, I, I would first like to say that uh, I too I haven't started it yet, but I will be releasing a vinyl record next week. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, show yeah, tunes. Stringfellow will be producing it as well. Yeah. Um, so I that's a, that's the requirement. That guy gets I, around. I do have a lot to do before next week, yeah. but uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, I've I've tasked these guys with uh, with going back and 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 sinking into a, a record that I think that uh, they're all really really familiar with and and, and very proud of uh, as one of their favorites, and that is um, Meatloaf's "Bat Out of Hell." So uh, we're going to be checking that out next week. Yeah, I just threw open my mouth a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, brace yourselves, America, or at least anyone listening to this podcast. Um, for our guest, Phil, for uh, our friend Mark who stopped by, uh, this is Somebody Likes It. I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. We'll see you next week.